This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Well, good evening again, everyone, and welcome to Class 5 at Prairie Mountain Zen Center. Uh, Class 5 in our winter series on gratitude, faith, and compassion. Thank you, Jodasan, again, for encouraging our practice and study. Last week, we engaged the difficult subjects of depression and dolor, those aspects of human life that can sweep over and through our lives, debilitating us, our families, our sanghas. We saw how active compassion and faith can have some energetic ability to meet these difficulties, but also that they are formidable, not easy to understand, let alone meet. Zen Buddhist practice is all-encompassing, moment-by-moment practice, watching body, heart, mind arise and drop away. Dogen Zenji is specific about the undividedness of practice awakening, practice enlightenment, practice realization, rather than the expected single breakthrough moment that lasts forever, practice awakening, practice realization, is ongoing every moment. Yet depression and dolor can wrap us round to such a degree that it offsets or makes impossible this focused practice energy. Yet time, self, practice, and being are not what we conceive them to be. As most humans do, we construe them as centered in some abiding self. Instead, they arise and fall like life and death, moment by moment. Our practice awakening astonishes because it sees at last what Prospero realizes in Shakespeare's The Tempest. Our revels now are ended, he says. These, our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherit, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, shall dissolve and leave not a rack behind. When we drive deep into practice and observe closely how we identify with the five skandhas, and their sense objects, and the sense of self that arises through this identification with consciousness. As Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva instructs Shariputra in the Heart Sutra, we are astonished into letting go into lightness and compassionate care for all beings, including this being we call self. Later this spring, we may take up the study of Dogen's Bindua, the first fascicle he wrote upon return from China, his exploration of Jujuyu Zanmai, the essential practice of watching all things arise and fall, Zazen, this moment in being time. Last week, I closed by expressing my gratitude to our Sangha here, and I want to reiterate the pandemic isolates all of us 
making us more reliant on the technology to get together and share our practice. As lay practitioners in the world, we can feel isolated in the midst of family, work, a single home. During the pandemic, even Sashin, our Zen Buddhist retreats have gone online, leaving us in some ways unable to share in certain essential practices, like orioki meals and tea service. These are aspects of Zen that illustrate intimately Dogen Zenji's only a Buddha and a Buddha, how we awaken interdependently. In these practices, it is obvious that we serve one another. And while practicing online, it can be more difficult to experience this and easier to feel isolated, especially when and if we inhabit a world where Zen practitioners are scattered and few. But once again, I share Shakespeare's words with you as encouragement and abiding expression of faith. Who wishes for one person more? In years to come, many will feel themselves accursed. They were not here on this day, St. Crispian's Day. We few, we happy few, we band of siblings. For they who shed their blood with me this day shall be my sibling, be she ne'er so vile. I adopt King Henry's speech from the Battle of Agincourt to remind us of more than solidarity and practice. Instead, I cite it as a reminder, we are all alleviating suffering for all beings with each moment of our practice. It may feel slight or unrecognized sometimes in the swirl of samsara, yet each of us manifests a practice as profound gift to this suffering world. I am so glad to practice together with you, all of you, as we strengthen each other and give more heart to one another and every other heart. This week, we shift focus to a number of other significant challenges that can also derail our practice, damage Sangha, as well as personal lives and families. These are internalized trauma and karmic patterns two powerful and difficult to meet aspects of human life that can destabilize. We will see how meeting these difficulties is a primary task in Zen and how our Buddhist training can help us rise to the challenges, verifying our faith, engaging a sense of enduring compassion. How can we meet? deeply internalized traumas endured earlier in life, the ones that haunt our hearts and psyches. How can we see clearly their influence on our minds and thoughts, our patterns of thinking, speaking, and behaving? How can we objectively witness the deeply embedded karmic patterns that still manifest, even though our traumas may be distant in our memories? These are the fundamental questions that arise as we enter and practice the Buddha way over time. One advantage of the Buddha way is its emphasis on the human individual. No one can practice for anyone else. 
and choosing to engage practice carves out a space for individual engagement, even in the midst of our busy human lives. By devoting time to Zazen daily, as practitioners, we set an intention, both to oneself and to others in our orbit, that practice and mindful reflection is a priority that can benefit all beings. Setting this intention, we as practitioners establish a path in body, heart, mind, opening a space in consciousness that manifests deep within and in our wider orbit in the world. In the Sota Zen chant, self-receiving and employing samadhi, we understand Dogen's vision of practice as manifesting a universal impact, even if and when we do not see or understand it consciously or rationally. When even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal in the three actions by sitting upright in samadhi, the whole phenomenal world becomes the Buddha's seal and the entire sky turns into enlightenment. Because of this, all Buddha Tathagatas as the original source increase their dhamma bliss and renew their magnificence in the awakening of the way. Furthermore, all beings in the 10 directions and the six realms, including the three lower realms, at once obtain pure body and mind, realize the state of great emancipation and manifest the original phase. All this, however, does not appear within perception because it is unconstructedness in stillness. It is immediate realization. If practice and realization were two things, as it appears to an ordinary person, each could be recognized separately. But what can be met with recognition is not realization itself, because realization is not reached by a deluded mind. In stillness, mind and object merge in realization and go beyond enlightenment. Nevertheless, because you are in the state of self-fulfilling samadhi, without disturbing its quality or moving a particle, you extend the Buddha's great activity, the incomparably profound and subtle teaching. However, when caught in deeply established patterns of internalized trauma and karmic patterns, we may lack strength of motivation and energy to practice, or we may slide into doubt, depression, or despair. We may struggle to understand or believe such a thoroughgoing and penetrating practice exists or is even possible, dismissing it as spiritual naivete or propaganda designed to influence and manipulate. At the same time, in the practice of the Buddha way, we engage the study of the self, as Dogen expresses it in Genjo Koan. It is rigorous, a demanding, difficult path, not simple encouragement that everything will be all right. Sitting upright, facing the wall, a practitioner meets her or his or they, their patterns, deepest patterns and wounds. Proper guidance and support are important elements when entering the path this deeply. As Dogen says later in the fascicle, 
the zazen of even one person and one moment imperceptibly accords with all things and fully resonates through all time. This opens practitioners into silence and stillness where everything arises. Our trauma, our patterns, but also equanimity. Sometimes these things manifest suddenly, other times only after many years. And practitioners may need to supplement practice with counseling and therapy. Barry Magid, psychologist and Zen teacher in New York, argues that neither psychotherapy nor Zen touches every trauma or wound, that both can complement each other if a practitioner engages them honestly and deeply. Integration of insight is central to Magid's understanding of the value inherent in both practices. Epiphanies are radically important, yet no less important are the long years integrating those insights into our healthy adult life that benefits self and contributes to the world in 10 directions. All the same, deep wounds sustained in childhood, in adolescence, in adulthood can be profound. Resistance to open examination can be severe and can manifest in different ways, as denial, as refusal. When we observe this resistance, this denial in others, such as our friends, family members, sangha members, it can open our hearts into active compassion. It can help us open our heart to ourselves. Witnessing how others struggle in such profound ways enhances and deepens our compassion. This bearing witness is part of the spiritual path again and again. It helps transform inside into an enduring compassion such that practitioners open their hearts towards all beings who suffer these deep abiding wounds. These traumas can be debilitating. So invitations to examine them in either or both counseling and practice can bring up this profound resistance, even rebuttals. And to face such a response can be heartbreaking. It can reveal levels of fear and denial in the traumatized. Yet there can be little, perhaps, that one can do beyond offering presence and encouragement, a model of the practice, a study of the self, or groundedness in upright equanimity. Encountering these types of traumas and resistance in oneself, though, can be another matter altogether. These can manifest like walls in our lives, or as one Zen teacher said to me, rocks in my road, big rocks, boulders, parts of the mountain, shutting us into rigidly defensive postures that themselves can be unhealthy and difficult to endure. To meet this rigidity in oneself can be very painful, and most avoid such an encounter, often in highly creative ways, manifesting as escape routes. 
this kind of denial or evasion can linger for years, stonewalling our personal and spiritual growth. It underscores how essential it can be to seek support even beyond spiritual practice. Turning to those resources in counseling or psychotherapy, perhaps to meet, uncover, and transform harmful repetitive behavior and deeply rooted traumas. Ultimately, spiritual training in Zen reveals the true self, our abiding Buddha nature. And in this respect, there is no linear journey from point A to point B. Yet, as expressed in Shinshu's poem in Platform Sutra, one must polish the mirror, devote oneself to consistent practice and clarification of the self. At the same time, the transformations possible with the support of the skilled are foundational, allowing persons to understand and develop the capacity to unfold the true self more effectively. At times, to heal certain deeply rooted traumas may require persons to step aside from practice, spiritual practice, for a time. It is individual and particular. There is no one way. And this can be difficult, depending on the person, the trauma, and the degree of commitment to a specific person, practice, or teacher. Even recognizing that this might be necessary can be profoundly difficult. Frequently, spiritual centers and teachers like to claim sovereignty, planning the idea that spiritual practice can overcome all hindrances and difficulties. Yet this attitude can endanger persons whose personal makeup necessitates other kinds of support. Practitioners themselves may have internalized the notion that they only need to redouble their efforts to liberate themselves from various inner troubles. Therefore, it can be helpful, truly, when leaders and teachers at spiritual centers model effective, open, transparent understandings of the benefits that therapy can provide by destigmatizing depression and deeply traumatic wounds, these teachers and centers can actually support a beneficial synthesis of practices, even if a person must step aside from the temple a while. Engaging these deeply sorry, deep, mutually supportive practices can be profoundly helpful in developing enduring compassion, the capacity to feel deep empathy and understanding for all individual selves. It opens practitioners into insight just how frequently the self suffers from many forms of blindness that obscure the luminous being within. Seeing directly into how we hinder our self, our true self, liberates us into compassion for all who suffer this way. And this is why we chant Bodhisattva vows. So you can join me here if you wish. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Touching and developing 
this deep, enduring compassion, each practitioner opens into a kind of verifying faith. As Sharon Salzberg explains in her book on faith, this is the resonant, enduring kind that transmits widely through our deepening commitment to the practice of awakening. Others feel and perceive this faith in us, even as we feel its presence resonating deep within our own body, heart, mind. This enhances the quality of our commitment and it enables each practitioner to meet the deepening challenges of old age, sickness, and death. This faith and compassion drives deep into our core because experience reveals their boundless, bottomless depth and breadth. Ultimately, this practice in the face of internalized trauma and karmic patterns transforms our faith and compassion into abiding wisdom. We see and understand the depth and breadth of practice, and therefore it transforms us into the bodhisattvas we've aspired to be, and through practice become, manifesting faith and compassion moment by moment, breath by breath, developed by meeting our most humbling, debilitating wounds, empowers us as practitioners, enabling us to transmit Dharma to all beings. The legitimacy of the Buddha Dharma manifests Buddha to Buddha in this way. When we open deeply and profoundly, we touch and develop the verifying faith and enduring compassion that enables our wisdom to grow and transmit. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.